Well, good morning. We're going to start a new series this week that is going to go for about four weeks. Uh, we'll go into kind of the middle of July with this. If you uh, have ever been in my office and paid attention to anything going on in my office, I've actually got a poster that looks very similar to what you see up here. There are three posters in my office, and they are from the three uh, what we call teaching emphases that we had in our youth ministry over the years. And so there were three main things that I just decided early on in youth ministry that if I could have our students walk away with three things, these would be the three things that I'd have them walk away with. And this is one of them. And the reason why it's one of them is it's from, uh, it's based out of a verse in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, which we're going to look at today, that is Paul telling Timothy, uh, who was his protege, telling Timothy what the goal, what the end result should be of his teaching ministry. And so as you can imagine, um, as a young guy in my mid-20s, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what the goal of my teaching ministry should be, I took this on as the goal. And that has informed so much of my teaching ministry over the years. It continues to inform my teaching ministry. And uh, so we're going to look at that the, the next few weeks, uh, this idea that comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. So let me pray for us, and we'll get into it. Lord, uh, just so thankful to be together uh, again this morning, uh, to be able to fellowship with one another, uh, to be able to open up your word. It's just such a privilege that we have uh, to be a part of your body. I, I know for me, it's just such an encouragement. Almost every Sunday morning, just coming in here and just being encouraged by your family, by your body, and just who they are and who you're, who you're making us as a body. Just so thankful for your work amongst us. And I pray that that work would continue this morning as we um, dive into this passage, that uh, you would be the teacher, uh, that you would teach us what we um, need to know as individuals, and that we would walk away different than the way we came. I pray this on your name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start here in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. So Paul is expressing that he is an apostle. We know this, right? And it's according to, I don't love commandment. That's not my favorite uh, translation of this word. It's basically the direction, under the direction of God, our Savior, and Christ. He was directed to be an apostle. We know this, this story from, uh, from Acts, uh, where Paul, on the road to Damascus, is, it, you know, meets the Lord Jesus, right? And he's like, you're going to suffer a lot for me to go minister for me. And this was a, a, a role that he was given within the church, right? Uh, and that's why we have these letters that we, that we uh, rely on from him. And it's to Timothy, he says, my true son in the faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul and Timothy had a very close relationship. Uh, Timothy traveled with Paul for, uh, for many, many years. You know, he considers him obviously a, a son-father type relationship. Uh, obviously not physically, but in this kind of mentorship uh, way. And it started back in Acts 16. It says this, Now Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and, but his father was a Greek. So, so mixed heritage, right? He's got a Greek father and a, a Jewish mother. And he was well spoken of by the brothers and sisters who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to leave with him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews 
who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, so Timothy, again, mother was Jewish, father was uh, not Jewish. Paul has him circumcised so, as to not cause offense so that he could minister to uh, the Jewish people with Paul, as Paul had kind of a dual ministry uh, to both these groups of people, the Greek and, Greeks and the Jews. And so he becomes a disciple of Paul's. Now, what happens is during these, this travel that they do together, Paul spends two years in Ephesus, and Timothy's there with him during these two years in, in Ephesus. Paul has to leave Ephesus, but he leaves Timothy behind as a leader in the church to, church to continue that, that work of ministry. Probably today, we would consider Timothy a pastor. They didn't really have that role back then, but that's probably what we would think of. He was a ministry leader that, was, that had a, a, you know, a teaching role, a primarily a teaching role in that church and a ministry role there. Now, what's important to understand about this is that Paul is explaining to Timothy how to minister well in the church there in Ephesus. And that's really what both 1st and 2nd Timothy are about, are explaining to Timothy, hey, here's some reminders of some, some things that I taught you. Here's maybe some new information. I've heard of some stuff going on in Ephesus that I want you to address and take care of. So this is what Paul is doing with Timothy in 1st and 2nd Timothy. And in fact, we call these two letters uh, pastoral epistles because they have particularly a lot to say for those who are in ministry leadership roles because that's obviously the role that Timothy had, right? So again, for me, mid-20s, all into my 30s, now I'm into my 40s, this is Paul expressing to Timothy how to minister well. I can take these same words for me, and I have taken these same words for me and go, how do I minister well? Um, in fact, the elders, I think we're going on like a year now, uh, have been going through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy because we're also wanting to know how to minister well. In fact, when that first started, we were looking at reading this book on eldership, which is a, is a great book called Biblical Eldership, but we decided, hey, why not go to Scripture and find out what Scripture has to say about this role? I've expressed this before. Maybe you haven't heard this before. The elders of this church are the pastors of this church. Now, I get that that's not how modern-day stuff works. Usually the paid guy is the one we put the little pastor title next to. But, uh, but biblically, the, the way the elders serve our church is really a, a pastoral role. And so this, these words are important to pastors, uh, to our pastors, to our elders. But they're also important to us because we can take his words to Timothy and we can apply them kind of from the back end. Watch this. Look at verse 3 says this. He says, just as I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia to remain on at Ephesus so that you would instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. Now, the reason why we can look at this kind of from the back end is if Timothy is, is teaching the, the Ephesian believers not to teach strange doctrines, what do you think God wants us to hear about this? We should not be teaching strange doctrines, Right? Now, strange doctrines is a, is a compound word in Greek. It's didasko, which is teachings, but it's heteros didaskos, which means it's uh, other or divergent teachings. See, there, there's this group of teaching that we call the gospel, which, by the way, the gospel is not just, you know, the salvation message. A lot of times that's how we refer to it. But the gospel in the New Testament is really all of what Christ has done for us. If you read Romans, uh, Paul starts out, hey, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is, and then he spends 16 chapters talking about what the gospel is. 
The gospel is wide and it's broad and it's super important. And that is the teaching, right? The Bible gives us the teaching of the truths of the gospel. But there are some who want to teach apart from that. And in this time, the apostles' teaching was, was being circulated, and it's those who were trying to teach apart from the apostles' teaching. Since then, there, there have been many groups who have introduced other teachings into the world. In, in their time, it was mystery religions, uh, which t- talked about you know, getting information from angels that they could pass on to you. Like, like, you come join our mystery religion, you'll find out I've got a direct link to, to angels, and you'll find out what the angelic knowledge is, right? Or you have the Gnostics who claimed a, a deeper knowledge, a deeper secret knowledge that comes from a, a philosophical understanding of spirituality in the world. Or you had different Jewish uh, sects at that time who would kind of elaborate on the Old Testament. They would take what's there, and then they would make up kind of this other, this, this other teaching, right, that went way beyond the text. And some of them got really, really weird. Today, uh, we have many religious texts that exist in our world. The, the Hindus have the Bhagavad Gita. We have uh, Islam that has the Quran. We have Buddhism, which had the, the teachings of Buddha. Mormonism have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of the Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price. Uh, more recently, you have L. Ron Hubbard write, writing Dianetics and s- starting this movement called Scientology. In like a decade ago, maybe a little longer than that, you had this The Secrets movement, which maybe you haven't heard about The Secret, although there's like a Netflix movie that came out. Anyway, but definitely the concepts in The Secret are permeating kind of this spiritual culture which is this, this law of attraction, of spiritual attraction, where if I want something, I kind of put it out in the universe, that'll attract certain things that will help me get that thing that I want to me, right? There are a lot of sources, things that people are claiming are sources of truth in our world. And while some of these are more, you know, substantiated religions like Hinduism and Islam and those kind of things, the root of them is a person or a few people who said, you know what, we're going to create a new source of truth. And yeah, we're centuries down the road on some of these, uh, but it doesn't, you go back to the origins and it's just, it's usually one guy who's like, I've got an inside track on the truth and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to create a following for myself. And then it, you know, grew and grew and grew. Maybe for, uh, for us within the church, we're not talking about replacing scripture, but we might be talking about adding to scripture. Scripture's good, but maybe there's more, right? Maybe there's kind of old, it's an old dusty book from 2,000 years ago. We got to update some things, right? We got to add to it a little bit. Or maybe we don't like what certain things say in Scripture, and so we just want to kind of subtract things from Scripture and go, ah, you know, most of it's good, but some of that stuff gets a little bit challenging, and I don't really like that, and it doesn't really fit culture, and so I'm just going to delete that thing. Paul is telling Timothy, now, 2,000 years later, Paul is telling us, we've got to keep that out of the church. We've got to keep other doctrines, strange doctrines, out of the church. The point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is don't waste time on other sources of truth. And I put that in quotes, because are they sources of truth? They're not. They make claims to that. They're not, because the only source of truth is the God of the universe.
the one who constructed everything, right? Don't waste time on other sources of truth. He goes on in verse 4. Uh, he says, you know, I left you in Ephesus so that you instruct certain people not to teach strange doctrines. We covered that. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Uh, pay attention means to um, concern yourself with it, to be preoccupied with it, to be uh, consumed with it. In fact, in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this same Greek word is, is translated as addicted to, addicted to wine is, is, is the translation. So it's the idea of, of kind of focusing on things that are in this category of myth or end, endless genealogy. Uh, now, myths just mean, you know, at, at a, its essential level, it just means a made-up story. But Paul uh, was pretty concerned about these made-up stories. Uh, in fact, many, many times he warns against this to Timothy. This is 2 Timothy. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, right, the, the, the main doctrine, the gospel, the truth, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So these myths are these things that people create because it somehow brings us comfort, or it answers a particular question that we're concerned about. Or, or maybe it, it helps um, us push away a certain truth that Scripture is telling us, is exposing in us. And we're like, I'm just going to push that away and I'm going to fill it in with this made-up stuff, this mythical stuff. And if you don't think that stuff exists in the church, you're not looking close enough. It exists. 100% it exists. We need to stay away from these myths. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, but stay away from worthless stories. Stories is myth. It's the same word, mythos. But stay away from worthless myths that are typical of old women. Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The old women thing is, is a little bit weird, but I think it's where we get our idea of old wives' tales, right? You guys know that idea, right? These things that are worthless myths that are worthless, made-up things to help console us or because we like to think of ideas that are beyond Scripture. We actually don't know the nature of these particular myths that Paul is talking about, but we do have uh, some Gnostic writings from the second century, which help us kind of um, look back at the first century because there was Gnostic things going on at that time. So again, this is um, what I'm going I'm to share a couple stories with you. These are not from the first century, okay? But these are second century that kind of help us understand maybe what was going on in the first century. Does that make sense? So um, second century, we have this thing called the Gospel of Thomas, which, by the way, is not a gospel and was not written by Thomas. And in it, there's lots of stories, but uh, there's a couple stories. One is, and really the Gospel of Thomas, there's a good portion of it that is answering the question of, what was Jesus' childhood like? You ever wondered that? Because scripture doesn't really elaborate on that, right? We have his birth, we have this like teenage moment, moment, and then we have his ministry, right? We don't have a lot of what's going on uh, with Jesus as a child, right? So the Gospel of Thomas is going to help us out, some second century writer, right? So uh, there's a story in there about how Joseph uh, is hired, you know, Joseph, Jesus' dad, is, uh, or, or 
stepdad, yeah, uh, is hired by a man uh, to build a bed, hired by a rich man to build a bed. And, uh, and Joseph cuts a piece of wood too short. But Joseph has no extra money to go buy additional wood, so he's really, you know, in a conundrum. So you got Jesus around, right? What do you think Jesus does? He extends the wood miraculously. Ooh, good job, Jesus, right? And you go, hey, that seems like a harmless story. Could Jesus extend a piece of wood? Sure he could. Seems harmless. How about this one? When Jesus was a boy, same, same book, same story, or different story. Jesus is a boy. A father and a son are, are getting on to him for working on the Sabbath. Okay, getting on to Jesus for working on the Sabbath. Jesus gets very angry. And he says to the boy, you also should be like a tree without a root and not bear fruit. And the boy withers into an old man. That doesn't sound very good, right? Does that sound like our Jesus? No. That one might be a little more problematic for us, right? It's all problematic. You can imagine at this time, when you have the apostles' writings circulating among people, that there were people who would want to take advantage of that, who would want to make up stories about Jesus, about what was going on there for their own purposes, just to maybe... Get people to listen to them. Hey, lots of people listen to Paul. Maybe if I make up some stories, people will listen to me, right? Or maybe to tweak theology in some way. But this, all of this kind of stuff is very, very different than the apostles' teaching. Look at this. This is Second Peter. This is Peter talking, the apostle Peter. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It's very, very different. These are not made-up stories. This is Peter watching Jesus do amazing things and speaking about it. This was Peter sitting at the feet of Jesus, being taught the truth, and Peter sharing that truth for the rest of his life with others. Very, very, very different. First John, this is the apostle John speaking here. He says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. These are moments in real history where John was with Jesus, right? Hearing with his own ears, seeing with his own eyes, touching with his own hands. He says, concerning the word of life, I've experienced all of this with the word of life, Jesus Christ himself. I was there. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. This is very, very different kind of teaching. These are the men who spent time with Jesus, who were appointed by Jesus to go share the truth that Jesus had built into their lives. And they're just writing about these things. Eyewitness accounts. Teachers who taught what they were taught by the word of life. Very different. We don't need no myths. And endless genealogies. Again, we don't know exactly what's being referred to here. But these are probably Jewish in nature. 
Uh, the Jews were very consumed with ancestry. It's a huge part of, of who they were culturally. And so uh, there, there was a lot of discussion among uh, Jewish people and speculation uh, about different biblical characters and their lineage and different, different like tribal distinctions between the different tribes, which tribe is a little more superior than the other tribe and that kind of thing. There was an assumption that sin and righteousness passed through your line, your ancestry line. So you got to look back through your ancestry line and do you have a bunch of sinners in there or you got a bunch of righteous people because that's going to determine who you are, right? That kind of speculation is worthless. Absolutely worthless. Kind of the point here for us, I think a way to boil it down is that people wasted their time arguing about things that scripture either had not said or was not very clear about. Are there people today who like to argue about things that the Bible has not said or that the Bible's not very clear about? I think so. We can definitely do this today. We can major in the minors of scripture. Do we know people who do this? Have we done this? What, what pigment was, was Jesus' skin? On, on, you know, on, on the scale. I've seen a lot of pictures where he's white. I don't think he's white, right? What, what pigment? Was he a black Jesus? Is he somewhere in between? Why are we having this conversation? Would God have actually let Abraham kill Isaac? I don't know. Predestination? Free will? Which one? Can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? Did Jesus have pimples? Who knows, right? His point here is, Paying attention to this kind of stuff, which means taking our focus to it. it. It's fine to have these questions and kind of fun to talk about these things briefly, right? But when our focus is drawn to it and we make this the main thing, Scripture's here and we're like, ah, we're going to spend our time on things outside of Scripture, things that Scripture does not reveal, ideas that are man-made, things that we came up with things that we're going to debate about because the scripture is not very clear about it. We're going to debate about this and spend all our time on the, that debate. That is the thing that we have to stay away from. And I think you've been around me long enough to know I hate that stuff. And the reason why I hate it is because 1 Timothy tells me to hate it. We should hate it. We should hate it because it is useless to us. It is not the thing we need to be doing. It is not. Look at this. Look at what he says. He says, these myths and these endless genealogies which give rise to useless speculation rather than, the advance, than advance the plan of God. Do we want to advance the plan of God? I think we do. I know I do. Then we need to stay away from useless speculation. It's not harmless. See, that's the thing. Usually these kind of discussions, it's like, oh, it's just fun. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just an academic discussion. It's just, but it is useless to the plan of God and advancing the plan of God. That's why I care about it. That's why I think we need to get as far away from that kind of stuff as possible. Because the plan of God is what matters. 
Plan is actually this word that was used of household managers in the first century, those who managed like an estate. Like God manages his house here is the idea. If God thought it would further his plans to fill us in on these things, he would have revealed it to us. But he did not. Which means in God's plan for his people, we don't need to know this stuff. We need to land and be firm and be reliant upon what God has revealed. This is the, the example that comes to my mind. It's a weird example, but we're going to go with it. Imagine if I was a football coach, okay? A high school football coach. And I'm trying to coach my team. We're working hard. We're going through all the summer practices and all that stuff. And we're working hard to prepare for the season. Imagine if I could convince every other coach in my division of the benefits of his players playing Madden football. Anybody ever played Madden football? Okay, just me, all right. All right, Uh, imagine that I could do that, right? That I could convince them, you know what? John Madden was a great coach, and, and this is a great game, and kids are really into video games, right? So get all of your players to play John Madden football because they'll learn strategy, uh, they'll, they can watch proper technique, like when these digital receivers like, catch something. Like, they'll be able to watch the physicality of the, of the digital receiver receiving something. Like, they can learn that. They can learn proper technique. They can learn how to put together a successful game plan for the game. And imagine that I convinced them to focus so much on that 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 is all their teams ever did was play Madden. They, ne- they never actually went out on the field and practiced. How good do you think they would be when they showed up against my team? Not good. Not good. All that preparation that they did would be useless. Because they need to get on the field and they they need to do what they're supposed to do on the field. To me, this is the issue with these kinds of things. I really do believe that it is a strategy of our enemy to get us caught up on trivial matters. To get us to focus on unimportant things, because if we can focus on unimportant things, what happens to the important things? We ignore them. But the important things challenge me. They're really hard. They require a change in my life. Yeah, they do. That's why we focus on the important things. If our curiosity is causing us to be preoccupied with trivial biblical matters, to be preoccupied with speculative theological junk, to be consumed with things that are sort of Christian, you know those things, right? That are kind of Christian adjacent, but not really the core of Christianity. Things that aren't focused on the clear teachings of scripture, then we need to stop. Because it is useless to furthering God's plans for us. God's plan is furthered in this way. Look at, look at what he says. The plan of God, which is by faith. So I urge you now. So I urge you. This idea of urge is like I'm, I'm pleading with you. 
I'm pleading with us, right? But Paul was pleading with Timothy to plead with, with the people at Ephesus to focus on only those things which bring deeper and deeper and deeper dependence upon God. That's what matters. It does not matter that you have a deeper depth of insight, that you can show off your insights to others. Look, look, I've got this secret thing. It's not your ability to read up on every spiritual fad that is out there, to read every spiritual, you know, Christian living book that's out there to get the latest kind of Christian thing that's going on. It's not in your ability to, to uh, recite Old Testament facts, obscure Old Testament facts. And you're like, man, probably nobody knows this one. That is completely useless to furthering God's plans. The only thing that matters is deeper and deeper dependence upon our God. And God's word is completely sufficient for that. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this again. This is to Timothy. He says, from childhood you have known the sacred writings. Remember, his mom and his grandma were believers. From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Look at 17 so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Do we need anything more than Scripture? If it is the thing that can, that can make us fully equipped for everything that God has for us, why do we need the other stuff? Why do we need this kind of conjecture? Why do we need this kind of spiritual practice or spiritual discipline or the, the latest book that's out there that's going to bring us to whatever. We don't need that stuff. And the only books and the only podcasts and the only blog posts that are ever worth our time are the ones that point us back to God's word. The only spiritual conversations that are really worth having are the ones that point us back to and come out of the truths of scripture. And that deepen our trust in him. Look at verse 6. And I know I'm skipping verse 5. We're going to come back to it. Some people have strayed from these things and have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Some friends of ours some believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some of us here have strayed from the central truth of the gospel, have strayed from the clear teachings of scripture, and have turned aside to fruitless discussion, discussion that bears no good fruit. And then, and then he, he reveals their real heart. They want to be teachers of the law. They want to be important people. They want to be knowledgeable. They want to be respected. But there's a lack of, under, of the understanding of Scripture. And maybe not the ability to recite Scripture, but a lack of understanding of what Scripture is actually for. 
which is to build faith. Or they just don't know how to handle God's word well. And so they make confident assertions. Bad interpretation is bad interpretation no matter how confident you are when you say it or how loud you speak. In fact, in my experience, from what I've observed many times, and, I, and this includes my own life, many times the louder and more dogmatic someone is, the more out on a very weak branch they are on, the more likely they don't know what they're talking about because they're trying to convince with these weak arguments that they have to say louder and more confident. I'm including myself in this, although sometimes I just get excited. Second Timothy, again, this is to Timothy, says this, remind them of these things and solemnly exhort them in the presence of God not to dispute about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of listeners. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Dispute can mean debate. It actually, it's a word that's actually very similar to our idea of splitting hairs. To split hairs when it comes to the truth of Scripture is useless and actually just ends up leading to the ruin of those who are arguing about these things. When is Jesus going to return? Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? We don't know. But let me ask you this. Does that discussion deepen our faith? Does that discussion bring us into more dependence upon our Lord? I've never been a part of one that has. Does it bear spiritual fruit in my life in practical ways? I've never seen it do that. So why are we wasting our time on these things? Baptism, full immersion, sprinkle, infant baptism. Does that discussion deepen our faith, deepen our dependence upon our Lord? Or is it just about me being right? Does it bring about spiritual fruit, real spiritual fruit in our lives? And maybe you go, yes, it does. Okay, if it does for you, great. I've never been a part of a conversation that it has. It's usually more about who's right, who's got their theological ducks in a row. Does the church replace Israel under the new covenant? Or does the nation of Israel have a role to play in God's plan? Now, you might not be familiar with that one, but that one gets kicked around seminaries all the time. There are many different views on that. But the question is, does it deepen our faith and dependence upon Christ? I've never been a part of a conversation like that that does. Does it bring spiritual fruit? I've never been a part of a conversation that it does. So here's Paul's point to Timothy that I need to take as a teacher, but I think we need to take also. Don't waste time on speculation and controversy. Don't waste time on speculation and controversy. So you might be going at this point, okay, this is pretty negative, right? This is all stuff that we need to stay away from. This is all stuff that we shouldn't be doing. Well, it's all leading to the thing that we should be doing. The thing that I should be doing every single time I open God's word and teach it. This is verse five. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, 
from a good conscience and from a sincere faith. Instruction is exhortation or, or teaching. It's, it's what I do every Sunday and in other venues that I have to do that. So as you can imagine, as someone who, who has the gift of teaching and is trying to use the gift of teaching, this verse has informed so much of what I've done over the years. In fact, it's on my mind regularly. The goal of a teaching ministry, the goal of my teaching, the goal of any teaching that we do, the end result should be this. In fact, this word goal was used uh, as in the Olympic Games for that final prize, that gold medal. They didn't have gold medals at that point, but it's like a gold medal, right? Getting up on that, you know, you've, you've spent years and years and years preparing to be a bobsledder or whatever, right? And then you get first place and you get to get on that, that top spot. Like that's your whole goal. That was what you were working toward is to get on that top spot for that gold medal to go around your neck and for them to play the national anthem, right? That was your whole goal. That was the whole point. That's what he's saying here. The whole point of teaching. Again, as a teacher, I, this, is, I, this is why I listen to this, right? The whole point should be love. If my goal is to be a respected teacher, oh man, that guy speaks really, really well. Or my goal is to be the one, oh, I've got the understanding and you guys all need to listen to me. If my goal is to, is to have some sort of inside track on truth, that you can't just open up the word and see what I'm saying, like I've got some inside like tweak, you know, like, ah, oh, you can't see it there, but I've got some inner knowledge or whatever. Like if that's my goal, it's worthless, absolutely worthless. If my goal is to be one, the one that figures it all out for us, that is absolutely worthless. My goal as a teacher, your goal as, a, as someone who studies God's word should always be to produce lives of love. There are some very prominent examples in my mind of ministries out there that are clearly not meant to produce love. They're meant to produce condemnation and hate and bigotry and being right and everybody else being wrong. That can't but be what we're here for. What we're here for is to produce lives of love. And not just any love, right? That's a very vanilla word. This is agape love. This is God's kind of love. The love that, that is his love, that is uniquely his. And it's a love that comes from a pure heart and from a good conscience and from a sincere faith, which are the things that we're going to talk about the next few weeks. Well, why love? Why is love the thing? Why is love the goal? There's lots of goals that we could be working towards. Why is love the goal? Well, I, I think if you spend much time with Jesus, you'll figure out why, Right? This is Matthew 22. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is uh, Jesus that he's questioning. And he, Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, these two instructions, hang the whole law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were, was the Bible of their time. 
Okay? The whole Bible hinges, hangs on these two things, loving God and loving other people. It all is about that from start to finish. Now, we like to make it other than that. We like to make it something more than that. We like to make it some sort of self-righteous thing or some sort of thing that we can promote to other people about how good we are as people or whatever. But that, none of that matters because the only thing that matters is love. I've been putting doors back up at my house that got taken down, right, during the remodel. Uh, if you ever put a door up, it's not too hard, but it's got, you know, you, you put up these little door jams and, the, and the, there's these little nail type things that go through the door jams. There's probably a name for those. I don't know what they are. But anyway, you put those things through and then the door hangs and it flows back freely very nicely, right? That door hangs on those little nails, whatever they're called. What are they called? Pins, okay, those pins. Everything that God has ever wanted us to know is about love. And so it just makes sense that if we're gonna learn from God, which is what we're doing, if I'm gonna teach from God's word, God's mind, God's truth, then the end goal has to be love. It has to be. That's the only thing that makes sense as love is the goal of the Christian life. Now, if I said, I'm going to love you by pulling out a gun and shooting you, that wouldn't be love, would it? No. So, so love has to be defined. Love has to be given boundaries. Love has to be given definition. I can't just make it whatever I want to make it. Lots of people want to make it whatever they want to make it. And in fact, they will claim that God's love is this particular way, which is not the way that God has defined his love. It's the way they want to define his love. So if we're going to pursue this goal, we've got to let him bring definition to love. We must let that kind of love define us, not us define it. And we've got to know where love comes from. Spoiler alert, it doesn't come from us. So we gotta know how to attain to it. If we, if we can't produce it, we gotta know how to get that. And we'll talk about that in the next few weeks. Last point here is, instead, spend your life learning how to love. For me as a teacher, spend my teaching ministry focusing on how to love. Without question, this is the most important pursuit of our lives. I'm going to end with this verse because I love just the, the simplicity of it. It's Galatians 5, 6. It starts this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweak this a little bit based on our, our discussion from Paul today. For in Christ, novel doctrines have no value. Being consumed with biblical speculation or religious speculation has no value. Exploring other sources of truth has no value. Majoring on the minors of Scripture has no value. 
promoting strange doctrines has no value. Fruitless discussions about spiritual things or biblical things have no value. Being an important biblical teacher, highly respected, has no value. Placing confidence in your own theological knowledge has no value. Guess what has value? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If we're mixing other things into that calculation, we need to get those things out because they don't matter. The only thing that matters, the only thing that counts, the only thing that is worth anything is faith expressing itself through love. Why do we come to church? Why do you spend time in God's word? Why do we spend time in God's word together? What are you trying to get out of our time together in God's word? If it doesn't end with deepening faith that results in deepening love, then we're missing it. We're missing God's best for us. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are um, just really thankful. I'm really thankful for these words from Paul to Timothy. These words that have just given me, you know, has given me that North Star always when I'm evaluating my ministry, evaluating my teaching. It's got to be about love. And Lord, we want it to be about that. We want it to be about deepening our trust in you so that we can love others well. We can love others the way you love others. That we can love you with everything that we are, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what we want to be about. We just want to be start to finish about this trusting relationship in you and, and, and the love that's produced from that. Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to spend time in your word with that goal in mind, with that end in mind. Pray this on your name.